when no one says anything or does anything, that is when evil prevails. It is when those who actually know what is righteous and pure and holy, it is when those who know it keep quiet in the midst of evil, that in that moment they actually give permission for evil to flourish. And in the world today, much of the evil we see around us occurring is because believers who know what is right keep silent. And thereby they actually become guilty of the evil in some form because they fail to put their foot down in the midst of it. And this is done for various reasons. Other people either profit from the evil itself so they won't blow a whistle on evil because it's they're in it for it. They're in it for the evil or they're simply too afraid of what would happen if they called out the evil, especially when we talk about evil acts committed by men who are part of the elite or a higher stature of rank or people who have power in those cases. It becomes a scary thing. But in the story of Phineas, God crowned a hero. He crowned Phineas as the hero of Israel. He said that if it was not for this man with the name of Phineas, all of Israel would have perished. All of Israel, Moses, everyone would have perished if it wasn't for Phineas who in the midst of evil put his foot down and said, this is not the way of the father and we will not let this fly. Think about this, brothers and sisters. If it wasn't for what Phineas did, everything we have today, the faith we have today, the lineage of where the Messiah came through, the ability for us to even have a relationship with God, none of this would have happened if it wasn't for this man Phineas who stood up and by what he did, he saved Israel from destruction. And so in this video, we're going to look at what did Phineas actually do? Why did he do it? How could he have done it? And how do we worship God? Because in the way that Phineas did, because Phineas was a man who was who God said, I am making a covenant of peace with you after Phineas did what he did. Now I don't know about you, but When I look and think on that, it is just for me like, wow, God, I want to know what does it mean? How did Phineas get to this place with you? You say, I'm going to make a covenant of peace with him. Like, I want to be in that place. I want to be in the place where God says, I'm going to make an eternal covenant with you, a covenant of peace because of the way you worship me, the way you trusted in me and the way you lifted my ways above your own and the ways of the people of this world. That's what Phineas did in Numbers 25, verse three, where we read Israel joined himself into Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. 
And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined to Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of congregation. And when Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. So in this short story, we see how Israel is drawn away by these foreign women, the Midianite women. They entered the camps. They, they misled the men of Israel, where the men started whoring with these other foreign strange women. And then these women started leading these men to their idols, the Midianite idols, Baal Peor. And the Israelites started worshipping the idols of the Midianites. Even after everything God has done for them, they now have this change where they start doing this corrupt manner. And then God tells Moses that the leaders of Israel needs to be hanged up against the sun. And then he tells Moses to tell the judges of Israel that they need to execute judgment on every single man who joined himself into Baal Peor, that foreign idol God, that false God. And so the, the call goes out for the judges to do this. And in the midst of everything happening, people being killed because of their association, because they were worshiping this false God. We see all of Israel at the tabernacle and they're weeping at the feet of God, in essence. And as all this is happening, a man walks up and he walks by kind of the front of the camp. And then and in the scriptures say that Moses It was before the eyes of Moses and before the eyes of all of Israel. This man walks up with a Midianite woman, Israelite man with a Midianite woman. The very thing that God just condemned, the very thing that people were dying because they participated therein. And Moses sees it. Israel sees it. They see here this guy and this woman walking by and they walk up to his tent. And no one does anything. Moses does not do anything. Israel does not do anything. The judges whom God just said that they need to be killing, executing judgment, a death penalty on everyone joining themselves to Baal Peor with these women. God just said that all those people need to be killed. And these judges don't do anything when they see this. They don't execute any judgment. But then we see a man. Phineas, son of Eliezer, a son of Aaron, the priest, come up and he grabs a javelin. He runs after this man and he takes the javelin and thrusts it through the man and through the woman, both of them in their tent. What a crazy story. Now, the big question that begs an answer is why did Phineas do it? Why was it him? You need to understand that 
Phineas is not a judge. Phineas is not the man, the man who God gave the instruction to, to execute the judgment on these people. It, he was unqualified in that way. He was in a way you can even argue out of place. What happened? Why? How could he have done this? You see, he did it because no one else did it. He did it because everyone else turned a blind eye to what was happening, even in the midst of what of the killings. And so, but then we have to ask the question of why? Why were the people, the whole congregation, the judges, even Moses, why were they not doing anything themselves? Why was it? Why did we have to wait for Phineas to come up and do this? Now, from all this, there must be something different about this man and woman from all the other men and women who were joining themselves to Baal Peor, this false god. They had to be. Why were they comfortable? Or why was it they were they able to execute this judgment and kill the people joining us after Bob Pure? But when it came to this man and this woman, they relented and they didn't want to. Why? There's something different about this man and woman, and we read about Numbers 25, verse 14. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, even that was slain with the Midianitish women, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianitish woman that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. Oh, you see what happened? The man and woman who everyone didn't want to mess with, they were elites. They were heads. Zimri, the Israelite, was a head over his people. And we see Cosby was the daughter of a man who was the head over the Midianites. So we have these, if you, you can think about it this way, we have a prince and a princess, in essence, who are doing this. And everyone is afraid. You see why? Because if this were to happen, just think about it this way. If we are going to kill a head of our you know, nation who has joined himself to a head of a different nation, a woman, a prince and a princess. That would bring a war, wouldn't it? If that other nation found out we just killed their princess, they would come back to make war with our nation. It's a big deal. And that's exactly what everyone knew. Everyone knew if they killed this woman, if they killed this man even, it could mean war for Israel. And that is exactly what happened. After they, um, uh, Phineas actually struck the spear, the javelin, through these two people, the prince and the princess, we read, read later on about how God commands Israel to go and destroy them, to make war with them, because that's what was going to happen. It was inevitable. A war was coming. But see, here is the thing. Phineas wasn't afraid. He trusted God. He was more concerned with obeying the commandment of the Father than with the fears of what would happen when he did. You see, brother, sister, sometimes God instructs us to do dangerous things in our own minds. 
things that can have consequences, things that, I mean, just think about it, not only talking about this war that comes on, but his personal life. Phineas himself, if you're going to kill like a president and or a prince and a princess, think about it. You're killing these elite people, their families, their powers, they're powerful people, and they can come after you. They can come and kill you and destroy you, right? That's there's all these things running through the minds of everyone because these are powerful people they're dealing with. And that's why they were thinking twice. But Phineas didn't. He picked up his spear and ran. Phineas was willing to both die as an atonement as well as for the sake of the righteousness of God. What I mean by that, you you may think, well, Peter, what do you mean? Phineas was not an atonement. Phineas didn't die. Yes, he did not. But he went on a suicide mission. And the reason I say that is let's just think about this for a second. Israel, we're talking about Israel here. We're talking about the complaining people who wanted to, who rebelled with Korah against Moses, who wanted to get Moses out of power, who, who has been continuously complaining against God, continuously been saying, we want to go back to Egypt, continuously been an unbelief. And they are not slow to pass judgment and become angry, even at the things that God is doing. Right now, think about this for a second. We do read in this story of how after Phineas did this, the plague stopped. In other words, when that javelin was pushed through that man and woman, the plague stopped. God stopped the plague and that man and woman became the atonement in a, in a way. But if let's just say it did not happen, if the plague did not stop, if the killings continued and if this other nation, the Midianites came to make war with Israel, what would Israel have come to do against Phineas? They would have come to Phineas and said, Phineas, we had this issue of God already telling us to kill these people. We have lost our brothers and sisters already in this plague. And now you stirred up a war with the Midianites. Phineas, what are you doing? Are you crazy? We're going to Did you bring us out here to die? Like we're going to die now because you, you got us in trouble. You just killed the princess. Isn't that exactly what would have happened? And they may have even come to try and, and kill Phineas out of their anger. You know, I'm just putting up these scenarios of things. This was the kind of situation that Phineas was getting himself into. But it didn't happen only because the plague stopped and because God came forward and blessed what Phineas did. And of course, God blessed what Phineas did because Phineas did the will of God. You see, brothers and sisters, here's the thing. If God tells us to do something, we have to do what he said, even if it's hard, even if it brings our position, even if it will give us, get us in trouble with the world and with people around us. If he told us to do it, we need to do it. Because if it was truly God telling us to do it and we do it, he will protect us. He will stand up and he will say, this is my beloved son and who I'm in pleased. And I make a covenant of peace with him. No one will touch him. That's exactly what happened with Phineas. God came to him and said, I'm making an everlasting covenant of peace with you, where you will not be in strife with people, but you will be in peace with them. People won't come up against you. They will be in peace with you. That's what this is about. This is why this covenant of peace is being made. And so it was Phineas who was willing 
to become this atonement. He was laying his life down because he didn't know what was going to happen. But he didn't think twice. He laid his life down. He said, I don't care about myself. I don't care if they come to kill me. I don't care if Israel themselves disowns me and throws me out of the camp. I don't care. All I care about is the righteousness of God. And I'm willing to die for the sake of that. I'm willing to be the atonement even for Israel, because I know that this is the wrath of God being poured out on Israel. And here's this other guy who continues doing what we are dying for. And because of that, because he was willing to die, the true atonement was actually the very man and woman who died. The, the spear was pushed through them. And as I quickly mentioned earlier, if it was not for what Phineas did, Brothers, listen, this is crazy. If it was not for what Phineas did, Israel would have perished. And it's not just me who says this. God himself said this. He said in Numbers 25, verse 11, Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was ardent with my ardor in their midst so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my ardor. He was the one who turned back the wrath of God. It was his single act who did it. And brothers and sisters, we don't really know what would have happened exactly if Phineas did not step up. But we do read, however, that this man and woman passed by the eyes of Moses and by the eyes of all of Israel. But but we only read about Phineas making a move. And we can only conclude that if Phineas did not make that move and if no one else did, the wrath of God may have not ended. It may have continued and it may have been poured out till the ends of the camp with almost no one left. And so Phineas was a hero because he trusted in God, because he was ardent. He was zealous for the things of God. He was zealous for holiness. He was zealous for worshiping God and God alone and not having any idols, or any whoring in the house of the father. And he wasn't afraid of what might happen, even if he brushed up against some elite authorities or elite people in the midst of it. Even today, we often see how people in high positions, whether it's of government or even private organizations, if they have a lot of money and power and connections, when they do a crime, they often get away unscathed. Why? Because of this, because people are afraid of implementing judgment with people who are powerful. And that's exactly what has happened here. Everyone was afraid, but Phineas was a righteous man who wasn't afraid. And he was able to do what he did, even though he was not a judge. He was qualified. Even though he was unqualified, he became qualified when no one else wanted to lift a finger against this man. And so Phineas was able to do this because all the judges of Israel, the ones who are actually supposed to execute the judgment, they did witness the crime. They did see what this man Zimri did. And Phineas really was only the one to execute the judgment, to put the final blow. Zimri already stood judge before the judges. They witnessed it all happen, even though they were afraid to execute the judgment. And he was the only one willing to do what God said. You see, brothers and sisters, we can't just go and take spears and kill people 
Don't take it this way. It's not what this is about. It's not what the story teaches us. You can't just take, pick up a spear and go kill someone who you think is against going against God. Because in this instance, we specifically see in this specific situation how God tells them, the judges, how they should be executing this specific judgment of the death penalty on these people. We can't take this and apply this judgment in all, all our situations today because God did not tell us to. And so we need to be like Phineas in this way. We need to be willing and able to bring correction to people who are even of a higher status, who are leaders even, especially when no one else is doing it. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to, however, make a distinction. Personal sin is addressed by our Messiah himself in Matthew 18, verse 15. Yeshua, our Messiah, instructs us that if someone sins against us with personal, a personal sin, we are to first, above anything else, go to this person alone. No one else around. You're not allowed to say a word to anyone else around you if you were hurt in your heart, if someone hurt you. Rather, you go to that person who hurt you and you tell them, brother, sister, you hurt me. You did this against me. Explain to me why. What is going on? Why did this happen? I don't want this to be like this. I want us to be at peace with one another. If your brother does not repent, he continues in his sin. Then you approach elders you approach people who have who can who are close to know this person as well and who will be able to be two to three witnesses who can come with you to this person to bring correction and only then if they still do not listen even after then you brought the witnesses then you separate from this person and you make him to be as a tax collector and so we see how God gave us instructions on how to treat people who have sinned personally against us. This, however, in the story of Phineas, this is not that. This is not about a personal sin. The sin of um, Zimri and Cosby, they, that was not personal. That was a public sin. And what I mean by that is we see that all of Israel is witnessing this happen. This is not a sin against one person. This is a sin against the nation. And what is happening is now there is a different procedure and that there can be a calling out. There can be someone who steps up and says, why are you doing this in the midst of it happening when everyone is around seeing it? If it's like when we're around and there's something going on, there's evil going on and everyone can see it. Everyone witnesses this. You must be the one who steps up and says, what is going on here? So see, there's a difference with public sins. We must, and we must be the one who calls out and says, guys, we can all see what is happening here. And you, God calls you to be the one, be that Phineas, be the one who says, this is not right. Why is this happening? We all see this happening. Why do we all keep quiet about it? We need to stop doing this and allowing this to happen. This is what Phineas was doing. And that is correct. But it's different from if someone sinned personally against us. If someone sinned personally against you, you don't go out to the world and tell everyone, look how he sinned me, look how he hurt me. No, you first go to that person. We need to understand that distinction. 
in places like our workplaces. It is important for us to be able to exercise what Phineas did. If there is evil going around and you're sitting at a table in your company or in what, wherever you are, and you see everyone there, they're conducting evil. You need to be the one willing to call it out. You need to say this is not righteous to do. This is sin. This is not how God would run a company. My God does things differently. Brothers and sisters, in these situations, we need to be willing to call, be the whistleblowers like Phineas was to call out the evil. Because you see, it's when we are in those situations as believers, it's when we keep quiet that we are just as guilty as the ones participating in the sin because we allow it to continue. When we had the, the power and the ability to step up and forbid it to continue. When we had the authority to step up and forbid it from going on. And even if it's above your rank, you still have the ability to blow a whistle on evil. And see, brothers and sisters, this is what is going to make us different from the world. When the world participates in evil and they just turn a blind eye because they think, oh, I'm not participating in it. So I'm 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 not guilty because I didn't do anything. I didn't directly participate. But if you turn a blind eye, you have participated. You have helped the deceit and the deception and the corruption flourish because you did not put an end to it when you could have. That means you are a participant, whether you like it or not. If you have the ability to stop it, but you don't. God calls us to be like Phineas. You see, brothers and sisters, here's the reality. Listen. If Moses and the entire congregation and if Phineas even kept quiet on Zimri and Cosby doing what they did, everyone would need to die. Everyone would need to bear the consequence of death. Every single one, whether they whore directly or not. Why? Because they all approved of it. They didn't blow the whistle on it. And if they did not blow the whistle and put an end to it, they participated and aided in its flourishing. They aided the sin from occurring against God. And God would need to execute the judgment on all of them because they're all guilty of that sin. You see how this works. This is why Phineas was the one who saved Israel single-handedly. Because he was the one willing to be the, the atonement, willing to give his life, even if it was going to cost his life. In the moment, he didn't know, but he was willing to do that. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give your life for the sake of righteousness and for the sake of the kingdom of God to flourish instead of the kingdom of darkness in your workplace, in your family, wherever you are? Are you willing to die for it because that's what Yeshua did. He laid his life down, everything he had for the sake of the kingdom of light to flourish. And because he did it that way, we are to walk like he did. We are to walk after the model that he has given us. But so ultimately we know that it was then not finished as the atonement, but the atonement was actually then Zimri and Cosby. But now here's the thing. There's an interesting, amazing picture of even the atonement of Zimri and Cosby, of how they were killed for the, and when they were killed, the sin of Israel was stopped. The, the wrath of God was satisfied, if you will. And this is actually a picture of Yeshua. 
what Jesus did on the cross was exactly the same. Think about it this way. Zimri and Cosby had to be struck. We have a man and a woman. They had to be struck, pierced with a spear for the judgment to stop. And for Israel to be set free from the sin that they, were, that they found themselves in. Isn't this exactly what happened? Yeshua was on the cross, busy dying for our sins. The sins of the world. The sins of Israel. But what happened then at the end? He was struck with a spear. He was pierced. Same thing. He was pierced. He was the atonement. He comes and says, no one needs to die. I will take it. God comes in the flesh and says, you don't need to take the spear because brothers and sisters, we all deserve it. We all hoard. We have all had idols. We are all like Zimri and Cosby. We are not guiltless. We are all guilty before God. But he comes in the flesh and he says, I'll take that spear. And he was pierced for our iniquities. And then what happens is we see in the book of Acts, when Peter, when Peter speaks right after the Holy Spirit is poured out, Peter comes up and he speaks and he says, Brothers and sisters, we are, we are talking today and proclaiming to you about the one whom you crucified, Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. And then when they heard it, it's scripture saying in the book of Acts that they were pierced to their hearts. You remember that? They were pierced with conviction. And then they said, what are we to do? And then Peter replied and he said this, rise up, get baptized for the remission of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you see what this is? First, the man was pierced, Yeshua. And then we need to be pierced too as his bride. The bridegroom was pierced, then the bride. We must be pierced. You see, Yeshua, Jesus didn't just die for us to escape death. He died so we can see how to die. He died and then he said that if you want to follow me, if you want to partake in what I have done for you, if you want to partake in the crucifixion account, you need to get what? Baptized. You need to die. Get baptized, buried in baptism. And be raised again like he was raised from the dead unto a new creation and your sins are erased. You see, we must die as well. It is not just a Jesus died for me so I can live. No, he died so you can see how to die so you can be raised with him just like he was raised so you can live a life like he did. A life filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that enables us to now walk in a righteousness we were unable to walk in before. Israel did not have the Holy Spirit poured out. That is why they continuously fell into these sins over and over and over again. But we today have the Holy Spirit. We are enabled to walk like He did. We're enabled to be His bride and walk like His bride ought to walk. You see, brothers and sisters... Zimri and Cosby died in their sin, but we are not much different from them. The only difference is we have God who came in the flesh 
and he died. He took the spear. He took the first strike for us and overcame death. So we can overcome the eternal death to not die in our sins. But see, brothers and sisters, it is not then just about getting baptized and becoming a new creation. And I I prayed the prayer. I did the baptism. I did all these things. I, you know, I checked all the check boxes and now I'm fine. I'm saved and I can just kumbaya go on with my life. We must continuously bear good fruit. We see in the next story that I want to talk about a similar picture of just how Phineas was zealous for the house of God, zealous for the command and righteousness of God. Similarly, when we go to our New Testament, we read about how we a very familiar story of how Jesus, Yeshua himself was also zealous for his father's house. He was zealous for the righteousness of God in the temple. And he accused the temple of not bearing good fruit continuously. And it really starts in Mark 11, verse 11, where Yeshua initially walks into Jerusalem and he's looking around, he's at the temple. And in the scriptures simply say that he is observing what is happening. Okay, so he's looking around and he is seeing stuff happen. And we don't know yet, but there's something that is bothering him. He then leaves Jerusalem and he goes up and on the way he gets to this fig tree. At the fig tree, he comes because he's hungry and he's thinking maybe he can get some food from it. Right. But it's actually not the time of the year for this tree to bear its figs. It's not in season. Right. And we can all understand that a tree has seasons and there's a time and a place for its season. But it doesn't bear fruit. And he, and he tells the tree. You are cursed be to you. May you never bear fruit again. It's kind of interesting, right? Messiah speaks to this tree like this. And then after that, he departs and he returns to Jerusalem. As he returns to Jerusalem, we read about this famous account where he gets to the temple, where he is at the festival of Passover. It is now the this time of the year of the feast of Passover. And he sees the money changers. He sees the oxen, the sheep, the, you know, uh, doves, all these things being sold in the courts of the temple. And we read this. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep, the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And so he just goes and he whips these people. He pulls, pushes over the tables. He does all these things. And it's kind of this story is like quite crazy. It's out there. It looks like, you know, what is Armas? What is he doing? Like he is the son of God. He is supposed to do righteousness. Why? It's kind of like the story of Phineas, isn't it? Phineas is this, you know, son of Eliezer who was part of Aaron's priesthood. He's like, he's supposed to be this guy who is all holy and things. And then Phineas does this weird thing where he just takes a spear and kills someone like that. And God comes and says, this is good. This is fine. And he makes a covenant of peace with him. 
And Yeshua is the Prince of Peace himself. So God approves Phineas and obviously God approves of Yeshua of what Jesus do, because everything Jesus does, he only does what he sees his father doing, right? It's, it looks out of character. But you see the similarities. Everyone knew what was happening at the temple was wrong. Everyone, the Pharisees, the elites, the Moses and Israel, who just like they saw what Zimri did, they they didn't have anything bad to say about what Phineas did because they knew that it was right. They knew what the sin was that Phineas was addressing. The Pharisees, the same. They knew, they saw the people around. They knew, everyone knew what the sin was that Yeshua was addressing. And that's why he could have done what he did. But see, here's the thing. If we look at what exactly the sin was at the temple, it's kind of interesting. Because we know that this is happening at the Passover feast. This time of the year of the Passover, where we know that the families are supposed to be taking lambs. That is the commandment of the Passover, is each household takes a lamb. Now the big question really is then, why are there oxen and all these other things that are being sold at the temple if it is the Passover feast and there's only supposed to be lambs? Because the individual who's coming to make the, allow the sacrifice to be done for him is doing a lamb. Why is there oxen? It tells us that the people who were selling things in the courts of the temple were simply there for the prophet. They weren't even connected to what was actually happening, like what time of year it is and what the commandment even says about what kind of animals should be offered here. It's they are so disconnected from the spiritual connection. They're just there to sell and make money. That's all why they're there. The money changers, they're there because what they used to do is when they're sitting in the temple, they need there's coming people from all over the world. And they are bringing in all kinds of different foreign currencies and they need to exchange the currencies for shekels, the the temple currency, so that they can buy and sell and do everything, pay there. But they were inflating the currency exchange rates extremely badly to profit themselves. So there was a lot of corruption happening. People were there not for the things of the temple often. A lot of them were just there for their own profit. A lot of them were just there to make money of the money with the money exchanging. Not to mention all this is happening in the courts of the temple and they were selling merchandise there. They were essentially making trying to make money off of the temple of God. And so that's why when we try and lift our own profits, try and take what God has given to be holy and make and profit off of it. That is the sin. You see, brothers and sisters, that includes your temple. Your temple is your body. That is the true temple. And the Holy Spirit indwells it. And everything that he brings with him, spiritual giftings, power, might, all the revelations, everything he gives that comes with him in his indwelling in your temple. You dare not profit off of it. You dare not sell it as merchandise. You see, brothers and sisters, here's the reality. We see a lot of this in America. We see a lot of people who have the spirit of God. 
and they get revelation, they get spiritual gifts, they get, you know, let's say they have the gift of healing and then they charge money for that to be given to someone. They charge money for their teachings. Even though Yeshua said himself freely, you have received freely give. You freely receive the Holy Spirit. Now freely give it. How dare you charge in the courts of my temple for what I have given freely? That is exactly what they did here with Yeshua and the whips. And that's exactly what we do in our own temples oftentimes. Brothers and sisters, this is the reality of the matter. People try and talk their way around it. They try and make excuses for it. The reality is if you're charging for what God has given you freely, you're doing it wrong. God will provide the wages for his laborers of the gospel. Of course he will. That's who he is. We don't need to make plans. God provides. That means that we don't go there to profit. You see, brothers and sisters, you need to understand there's a distinction. The laborers are worthy of their wages. The priests who work in the temple, they must get paid wages. They need to get paid for what they do. And it was the obligation of the people to take care of the priests. It was an obligation. We, when you receive something from someone spiritually, a teaching, a revelation, instruction, edification, anything, they can't charge you for that. But it is your obligation to give to those who has given to you, to give back financially even for them to be, continue to do what they do, for God to continue to use them. If that doesn't happen, we have no laborers. We have no teachers. We struggle to do that at the way we can without people giving back. A, the kingdom of God is not just about give, 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 give. You need to give back for what you get. That is how it works. When they joined in the first century, when they joined the Ecclesia, when they joined the body of Christ, they sold what they had and they gave to the assembly so that the poor can be fed, so that the teachers can be paid wages, those who are on full time ministry, so that everything of the kingdom of God can prosper and work. And so it has to happen. But we don't profit off of it in that we don't put a price to it so as to hamper the gospel from going forward for people to hear it. If I put a price on all my teachings on here, that would be sin. That would be exactly doing what was done at the temple with Yeshua and what Yeshua was whipping them for. As if I put a paywall on my teachings and said, you all have to pay for to watch me teach. That is wrong. That is wrong. And so we see that on the role of the teachers and the ministers, they should not charge. But on the role of the people who are receiving and part of the body of Christ is their responsibility to give to these teachers so they can continue doing what God has called them to do as well. So we really have responsibility on both sides. And oftentimes we have made the mistake of failing on both sides where we have either failed to actually give where we are able to give or we have charged where we should not be charging. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask of you, consider this in your heart and ask the Father to guide you with this. To give where you ought to give, but also not to charge where you ought not to charge. Here's an interesting fact, though. When I talked about how we are not to profit off of what the Spirit of God gives, when we look actually at what at this time where Jesus was whipping the people in the temple. The spirit of God was not in the temple for the Ark of the Covenant was not in the temple at that point. It was it was not there. That was part of the judgment of God on the people 
for their corruption and disobedience. And so we need to then ask the question, if the Spirit of God was not in the temple actually, why did Yeshua himself take such issue with them actually doing what they did? You see, even though the Spirit of God was not there, Yeshua still called that place his father's house. Because it doesn't matter what the season is. We need to bear fruit in every season. Even though it was not the season where the Ark of the Covenant and the Spirit of God was actually in this temple. When Jesus was there, Yeshua was there. It was supposed to bear fruit in every season. This is why he cursed the fig tree. That the fig tree was a picture of God's people and his temple. That basically is made up of all the people of God. And he cursed it because it was not bearing fruit out of season. And then he went to the temple and he cursed the temple because the temple was not bearing fruit out of season. The Spirit of God was not there, but it did still not bear fruit. And he cursed it. Similarly, our temples need to bear fruit in every season. Every single season. You see, when Jesus is alive, Okay, Yeshua, he grew up. He was not at the height of his calling from the day he was born. No, he had to wait 30 ish years. And then he came to a point where his ministry started starting. Okay, and then what happened? Then his ministry accelerated and he was actually fulfilling the full calling of his life. At age 20, he was not reaching the fullness of the calling of his life yet because it was not the time yet. He himself even said at the wedding of Canaan to his mother, mom, woman, it is not my time yet. Remember that? That means that there is a time in each and every one of our lives to reach the fullness of our calling and fulfill it. There is you are appointed in your life. There is going to come a time in your life when you are going to have to accomplish if you're in obedience and covenant with him, that you're going to accomplish what he has called for your life to accomplish for. In the case of our Messiah, it was for him to die for us, for him to do the miracles he did and have the ministry he did later in his life. And you have a calling. I have a calling and there's going to come a peak season in your life when you're going to reach that calling. But when that calling did not come if even though the calling was not there yet for Jesus himself earlier in his life when he was a kid like when he was a child he still bared fruit in every single season that's what we have to do you cannot say oh it's not my time yet i'm still preparing for that i'm still growing up i'm still a teenager maybe i'm still you know figuring things out i'm going to party a little bit more i'm going to wait a little bit more i'm going to Wait, I'm going to do some other things. Enjoy my life while I can still before I do the serious stuff of of worshiping God. No, you have to bear fruit in every single season. And the trees that don't bear fruit in every single season are cursed by God and they will never bear fruit. This is what happened. Listen, this is what happened. The, The tree, the fig tree was cursed by Yeshua and it died. And the next verse In Matthew 11, verse 20, we see how Yeshua returns after coming back from the temple. He just cursed the temple, just 
whipped the temple. And now he comes back to this tree and the disciples see the tree. It has withered. It has been cursed. And they actually say, wow, Yeshua, look, this tree is dying. And he says, yes, this has happened indeed. Because see, he, he cursed it because it wasn't bearing fruit in every season. The temple was the picture. The temple was cursed because it did not bear fruit in every season. Even though the Ark of the Covenant was not in it, it was cursed by him. And similarly, brothers and sisters, if we don't bear fruit in every single season, we bring a curse upon ourselves and we will never be able to fulfill what we were at our bricks were laid to accomplish. I'll repeat that. We will never be able to fulfill what our bricks were laid to accomplish, what our temple was made to accomplish. The temple after Yeshua cursed it. And after he cursed the fig tree, the fig tree dying was just a picture of what would happen to the temple. Because the temple soon thereafter actually itself became destroyed when Israel was thrown over. And we see that the temple actually, its bricks fell down and it was destroyed. It was in ruin. And it was a prophecy that was like fulfilled, a prophecy of Yeshua. That fig tree was a prophecy. That was all it was. But it's also a teaching and an important thing we need to understand. There's not just about repenting, getting baptized and doing all these things. And yeah, no, I've arrived. No, you need to keep. That's why Paul says, keep running the race continuously. Do not become lukewarm. Don't start walking. It's an endurance race. And so in the same way, you need to then with that race, that race will produce good fruit in every season. A tree will be known by its fruit. That's what Yeshua said. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. What is your fruit taste like? What does it taste like? Is it tasting like your Messiah or does it taste like the world? Because you've been trying to take your ideas and take even what God has given you, maybe. And you've been trying to profit of it. You've been trying to put a price to it. You've been trying to figure put complicate this thing instead of simply taking your calling and doing with it what you know you need to do with it. Brothers and sisters, we can easily corrupt what God has given us with with our little plans, with our ideas of getting profit, with our ideas of building our own kingdom. It, it cannot doesn't even have to be financially in whichever way you're trying to build your own kingdom. That's what the temple was trying to do. They were using what was given to them by God and were trying to build their own kingdoms with it. Instead of simply yielding to the spirit of God and building his kingdom. Phineas was not concerned like everyone else with building his own kingdom and building worried about the things of the world. He was concerned about building God's kingdom and bar none. That was it. Point blank. That is it. That is it. Nothing else mattered to him. You are to be like a Phineas. You are to be like Yeshua. You are to be as a temple that bears fruit in every season. And when you accomplish that, then you will arrive. Then you will come before him one day and you will hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I have given you little, but you have accomplished much with it. And so I I have given you more and you accomplish more with it. Well done. Now enter your stake your take in the kingdom of God enter it with joy you see brothers and sisters that is the reality of the matter that is this walk it is a race we need to keep running so I encourage you to run 
not with ideas of gain, not with ideas of profit, but with righteousness, purity, holiness, just justice to be an agent of change in the world where you will put your foot down in the midst of corruption and say, this is not the way we're doing it. This is not the way my God works. And you will not lift up this do corruption for your own profit. Instead, you will hamper and kill corruption for the profit of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light and for sin to die in your midst, because that's exactly what Yeshua did. May the rains come on your life because that's what will happen when you do this. Phineas received a covenant with God where he said, I am making a covenant of peace with you, Phineas, for what you did. Yeshua, when he had his baptism, heard, This is my beloved son in whom I am in well pleased. That is what will happen. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that's all that matters. When I hear the father say that to me, that's all that matters. What the world that wants and the prophets of the world and the kingdom of the world and the worries of the world and everything else. I don't care. I don't care about anything. I don't care about anyone and what they think. I only care about hearing those words and doing the right thing for my father. For that is all that will matter on judgment day. And that is all that will matter when you stand before the king, the creator of the universe, as me and you and everyone else will. Prepare for that day by living right today and you will stand before him with clean hands. Just because God has entrusted a lot to you doesn't mean that you're immediately in right standing with him. It means you have a greater responsibility of what to do with it. A greater responsibility of being right, of of working right with revelations, teachings, whatever he has given you and be responsible, not squander it or try and profit from it in a way he never taught you to do. Let's go out and give freely as he did. May God bless you and keep you, shine his face upon you, lift up his counts upon you, give you shalom and blessing. If this video has blessed you, please consider subscribing to this YouTube channel, liking this video, sharing it and sharing it with your friends. And I also would like to give a special shout out and thank you to the patrons and partners of this ministry who has made this video and every other video this month possible. Shalom.